Tom Wallace, and I'm one of the partners here at Florida Funders, and so delighted for you to be with us. What we're all about here at Florida Funders and our podcast is learning. So what's exciting about being an entrepreneur or an angel investor, whichever one you are in the technology space, is there's always something new to learn, and there's always somebody new to learn it from. And I'm very excited about our guest, who is really, really going to be a fun person to talk to and learn from, and I'll introduce him in a second. Our past guests have included people like Alexis Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, Steve Raymond, the founder of Tech Data, through that company to $35 billion, Ryan Neese, who was a, played for the Tampa Bay Bucks and turned venture capitalist, Jeff Binnick, who owns the Tampa Bay Rays and is a, has a hedge fund background, but is now more of an angel investor. And so we've had a lot of interesting guests in the past, and I'm very excited about our guests today. Before we get started, for those of you who are new to Florida Funders, we're a combination between a venture capital fund, or funds, we're on a second fund, and a crowd of curated angel network, angel investors. So we have a network of about 1,500 investors that invest alongside our fund. We like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from Sunshine State to Startup State, and we're focused on finding funding and helping build the next generation of great technology companies. So with that... David Blumberg, welcome to Florida Funders Podcast. So nice to have you with us today. It's my pleasure. It's good to see you again. Likewise. I was in, a, in an event in Miami last week, your new adopted hometown. We'll get into that. And, the, and we saw each other just last week. So David, uh, why don't we start by telling our, our audience uh, a bit about yourself, your background. Where did you grow up? I don't think I caught that. So I grew up in uh, Fresno, California. I'm a fourth-generation Californian. My ancestors helped really build San Francisco, if I could be so immodest on their behalf. California has a lot of wonderful things, but at this time during the lockdown, there were a lot of reasons to want to move here for our family and for business. It made a lot of sense. So we took the plunge during the, the lockdown. I think those lockdowns liberated a lot of folks to understand that you don't have to be chained to your desk or your office and in a tall office block somewhere in a big city. You can really live where you want the right work-life balance, where a lot of other investors and entrepreneurs are being attracted. And there was, so there was Choice Miami, ten, you know, Nashville, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, three other places. And, and Miami came up for our family on, on the top spot as well as for business needs. So I think we made a good choice. I'm very happy here, loving it, and feeling very well received. By the way, the community here has been just so remarkably um, that's great embracing yeah well everybody here is from somewhere else i'm sure you know so i think we tend to be very inclusive that way now i want to back up a little bit how did you you said you looked at austin and boston or maybe some other cities how did miami make it to the top of your list one of the reasons was the time zone Bloomberg capital is an early stage classic venture capital fund very focused on software, particularly artificial intelligence, mining big data, to try and bring value from that data to existing industries and also help create the industries of the future. So mm-hmm. we have a big team in Israel, quite a bit of operations and companies and so on on the East Coast, both in Canada and the United States. So being here is really easy for my sleep schedule. And then I can, you know, when I'm already well up and caffeinated, you know, California wakes up and I can start talking with them. We have you know, investors all around the world, up and down from South America, London, Switzerland, France, U.S., Germany, and so on. So 
being here, I didn't really think about it before I moved, but this has really turned out to be advantageous from just the time point of view. Then there's the lifestyle balance. We talked about that. I think that's understood. I like to be in a place that's new. For example, San Francisco, we were in San Francisco, right in the center of the city before most VCs were there. You know, the dynamic was always Sand Hill Road. Road, We never wanted to do that. We always wanted to be in the city of San Francisco. That was more dynamic where the hipsters, the young people were building new companies. There were big companies in, in Silicon Valley, Intel and, you know, Sun Microsystems and Oracle, which are great, but different kind of vibe. And so we wanted this. And so I think Miami is starting to get that vibe, that rush, that, that, that feeling. And so we want to be part of something new. I think there's also a natural tie between Miami and the East Coast, the fintech world where we're very strong. I mean, there's so many banks. That's an interesting thing. The tie to Latin America, obvious and, and useful for us. Many of our companies are starting to be interested in exporting and selling through distribution partnerships. That can be probably best done from here. We're also looking the other way. We're looking for entrepreneurs either coming from Latin America, wanting to launch into the North American market, and we can be helpful funder and, and, and support mechanism for them. And then there's the Canada tie. A lot of, you know, in my neighborhood, there are a lot of Canadians who come down here, certainly seasonally, sure. a lot of New Yorkers. And then there's a tie with Israel, which is very natural. I want to get to the tie with Israel in a second, but let's back up. Did you, you moved here. Did you move your entire firm here or did you give people the option? Did, tell us about that. I moved and we've got a team now of four. Uh, my colleague, Anita Katz, another colleague, Jacob Katz, no relation, but a lot of Katzes and <laughs> and then um, like great cats. Exactly, I'm the dog. <laughs> and, and then there's um, Roy Laurence, who moved down here. He preceded all of us. He made the smart move years ago. He would have been the head of data science at NYU in their data science program. He wow. moved down here, working with some of the universities down here, and worked with us. And he'd been the CTO of Capital One Bank, and he'd been the CTO of Reuters. And then Jacob Katz came from Goldman Sachs, where he just had been a, both an engineer working on high-frequency trading platforms after engineering at Penn. And then he went back as an investment banker. We pulled him out, and he can now combine the two because, as you know, venture capital is a combination of understanding the tech and understanding the finance and understanding the people and the markets. Unless your team's still back in California, do you see them coming at some point? Bloomberg Capital is quite diversified. We have a good chunk of folks, probably a dozen plus in San Francisco, another three or four in New York, another seven or so in Tel Aviv, and then the rest of us in Miami. So we're approaching about 25 folks and um, we'll be adding to the team in a number of places, including here. Uh, we're definitely looking for more, more team members here and in other, other cities. But our, our portfolio is quite distributed. It's, it's North America, both Canada, U.S., Israel and a bit of Europe. So we're very open-minded to entrepreneurs. And I want to, again, make another play for Latin American entrepreneurs. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for companies that we're going to become world companies. We're less interested in companies that's a regional play, something that's just going to be the best of Latin America. We would like it to be great in Latin America, but also willing and able to compete on a world scale. I'm curious as to how you got into venture capital, because I saw that you went to that little school that nobody's ever heard of called Harvard. It's really easy to get into, but that you are a government major. Were you going to be a politician and something went wrong or? No, something went right. <laughs> <laughs> I studied at Harvard undergrad and then I went to Stanford for an MBA. 
I think one of the crucial things is I studied a combination of what they call government department because they know it's not really political science. Most universities call it political science. We know it's really government, and that's a different kind of a fish. And so I worked there for a couple of summers as, as an intern, and I got a very strong impression that that was probably not going to be the right place for someone like me. I believe in a cap combination that, that really makes progress in the world is science plus capitalism. The two of those things and the entrepreneurial spirit is really, if I look at the last 200 years of progress for the human entity, human project, yeah. most of it goes to the entrepreneurs in the world. Very little of it goes to the governments in the world. I agree. That's a completely nonpartisan statement. And I think it's pretty true across history. So I just felt through my thesis work, which is too long to go into uh, at college and my experiences, both being a founder, I was a founder while in college of a company that still goes on to this day, one of the Harvard student agencies, and being a lover of science and curious, very curious person. That combination really fit as, as a venture capitalist. So I, I've landed in exactly the right job for me. And I, I do recommend it to other people. It is, as you know, it's, it's very rewarding because you're working with young people on a dynamic path. The, the, the future is uncertain, but their persistence, their grit, their willingness to take on challenges and address big problems is just it's magnetic. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, I like to say we get to go to work every day and we get to work with these bright, young, talented people who are trying to change the world. What the hell could be more fun than that? <laughs> exactly. As you know, no day is ever the same. There, are, It's not all lightness and you know fluff. There's hard stuff and difficult times and so on and difficult decisions, but it's very rewarding. For example, we've been the earliest investor in, we say, taking acorns and turning them into unicorns. And we now have, I think, eight in our current stable of our portfolio. Eight companies. Congratulations. That That's very impressive. First investor. And for those of you folks who aren't aware, you know, a unicorn is defined as a private company worth over a billion dollars. So to have it go from zero to a billion in value, the value is really a marker for how much good they're doing to the world. And if you'll let me wax poetic a bit, I like to quote Walter Williams, a wonderful economist who passed away recently. He used to say, what is profit? What is value? It's a sign, it's a symbol, it's a reward for having done something good for your fellow human being. Because we're not talking about forced markets where people are forced to buy or imperfect information. We're talking about- That's great. I might borrow that. Because good businesses stay in business. If you're a bad, say, let's pick a restaurant. If you're a bad restaurant, people won't go there anymore and you'll go out of business. So you've got to serve your customer well. I heard another VC, he was talking about a podcast uh, the other day, saying that the metric for them is they look at what the ROI for their portfolio companies selling to customers is. In other words, when the customer of a portfolio company says, our ROI on this product we bought from you is 600%, you know you're doing a good job. Yeah. Right? So we like serving customers. And if those customers are doing well, they reward you. So that's the fun about growing these billion-dollar companies or as we should be modest as VCs, it's really the entrepreneurs that grow the companies. We're along for the ride. Yeah. And one of the Bloomberg Capital metrics, if I can just go on this one, is that we see some venture capitalists, not you, but some venture capitalists tend to run things in the marionette model. We're the VC and you entrepreneur jump when we say jump. <laughs> capital model, and I think probably the Florida funders model is more like, no, it's the NASCAR model. You, the entrepreneur, Mr. Miss Entrepreneur, are the driver, and we're the pit crew, 
And we're there to support you and change the oil and fill the gas and bring fans to the stands, which is business development, all that kind of support that you need. And that's our goal. Couldn't agree with that more. And one of the things, you know, getting back to the, the capital or the creating a unicorn is, is the, you know, the measurement system or, or the returns of measurement system. One of the things when we're interviewing founders and talking to them about investing that I love to hear is I love to hear when I say, you know, somebody asks about their exit strategy and they say, oh, I don't know. I'm just really trying to build a great company and I want to own this space and I want to be the, the leader in this space. To me, I always like that better than somebody that says, oh, I'm going to get this to 100 million in market cap and flip it. And, you know, well, <laughs> because I know they're in it for the right reason. The, the why, the purpose of what they're doing is going to keep them going. That's very important. And it's another distinguishing feature of Lumber Capital. We are extremely patient. We've been in one company for, I think it was like 18 years. Oh, geez. And, and then it had a very good exit. And then it spun off a baby company. So we're still on the board because that new company is continuing to do well. And we get returns from that one when that fulfills its destiny. But I think there is um, a, a <laughs> misunderstanding. A lot of people confuse venture capital with investment banking or hedge funds and so on. They're very, very, very different. And hedge funds think in, the, in, the, in parts of a day. We're thinking in blocks of years for our return time. So we're very patient, very flexible. We understand startups need to often pivot along the way. Yep. And that's fine. We help them. And, you know, some pivots are necessary. So some are unfortunate. Some are very, very, very salutary. And we've seen companies that have you know, looked as if they were going to fail and then they made a crucial pivot and gone on to wild success. So all those can happen if you give a little bit of patience, some support, and you know, and do keep up with metrics. I mean, you can't just drop all your uh, rational faculties and say, oh, do whatever you want. It's, it's got to be a consensual path toward progress. I want to ask you about Israel. I want to get back to that. I visited Israel about three years ago. I went to the uh, a technology conference over there. It was just really blown away. I'd read Startup Nation. I knew Israel was a very entrepreneurial country and there was so much technology coming out of there. I, I was really, really impressed. You have this tie with Israel. When did that start? And you're obviously a believer in Startup Nation. Tell us about that. Well, it's interesting. I was in high school, college when I said, I want to have a career that'll be international. And I want to have something to do with helping Israeli technology get out to benefit the world. Because I had seen firsthand how they invent, invented things that could be used everywhere, but for some reason, you know, weren't. They weren't, they, they hadn't, they'd invented, but not yet exported much of their drip irrigation, reverse osmosis for desalinization, all kinds of other interesting technologies. And I said, gee, this country really could help a lot of other countries. I had studied at Harvard developing nations, the, the so-called third world. And I realized that a lot of that technology could make a huge difference in making people's lives better and making people have the ability to earn real income in, in those countries and so on. So I thought that's an interesting endeavor. But then I tried to tie venture capital with Israel and there really wasn't any. So I was actually very, very fortunate to have a mentor in Fred Adler. He was one of the great VCs of his day back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And he took me under his wing and I joined that firm and that was really, he had firm it was the first venture capital fund ever in Israel. Oh, wow. And so I worked with them and it was, the fund itself was not so successful, you know, to other reasons, but they did link me up with an incredible set of entrepreneurial talent that formed the first generation of great Israeli successful companies that then have morphed and expanded dramatically now. And so now the Israeli ecosystem is, I would say, really similar to Silicon Valley. It has a very 
same kind of vibe, same kind of term sheets. Many of the same firms are investing in both places. And so we feel very excited. Our team is quite large there. We have about 30 companies there in the portfolio out of 80. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so it's very active. Yod Fadhar Al-Bukhris is an excellent uh, colleague, heads up that office and has grown the team substantially and our portfolios. We're getting great exits. There, it used to be that Israel was said as great startup nation, but they don't have any exits. They don't have any unicorns. Now that's completely changed. Israel's a lot of exits, a lot of unicorns, yeah. and they're taking their place along. And I hope that you know the tie to Florida can be strengthened between Israel, Silicon Valley, and, and Florida. I think Israel's an interesting parallel to Miami and that has that beach, you know, sunshine culture and a work-life balance. And that, that, you know, California, again, can tie it together. So I think the three-way mix, maybe out in New York, it's a very good combo. Yeah. When I was there, Waze had had just been purchased. That was a big unicorn for Israel because they were saying the same thing that the other companies get bought. They never IPO. They never really make it to unicorn before they could take out in ways. And then there was the, the company uh, Intel bought for the sensor. Mobileye. Mobileye. That was a really big acquisition. Yeah, that was like 19 billion or something. If I can do a humble brag, we have three, uh, one, a couple in process and one that just happened. Double Verify was founded in Israel. So all of its engineering is there. They're headquartered now in New York. They pioneered a whole new industry. It didn't even exist before. And in fact, when I got a call from a, one of our LPs who's right behind me in Aventura, I live in Golden Beach. She called me and she told me about this company. I said, she said, would you talk to the guy? I think it's interesting. I got on the phone with him and I said to the entrepreneur, are you sure this problem really exists? Because I couldn't believe that the advertising industry had not solved the problem of verifying where the ads actually appear on the internet for the clients. They had no idea. Really? It's like some idea, but it was only correct 70% of the time. 30% of the ads were going to the wrong geography. Oh, geez. And then there were ads like for big telcos that were appearing on hate sites where the, where the telco was sponsoring effectively this or that hate site. Really untenable position to be in. So they, they couldn't control where these ads were going because the internet was just, the volume was just impossible to scale. Uh-huh. And I was surprised that people like AOL and Yahoo at the time had not solved it, but they hadn't. So this entrepreneur from Israel solved the problem. We invested. That became Double Verify. Turns out it'll probably be like a 100 to 1x return for the fund, which is, in venture is pretty good. That's and pretty that, good. <laughs> we'll take every one of those we can get, huh? Those things where it's, you know, not the, the money's good, but it's actually reformed the whole industry to enable advertisers to be able to advertise with monitoring and auditing and, and to the advertiser to uh, the, the publishers to sell with integrity and for the viewer of the ad to see what they're supposed to see in the right geography and not have advertising on hate sites and so on. So really exciting. That's one. Another one that's just filed its S1 to go public is um, called Yotpo, Y-O-T-P-O. Actually, I'm not sure they filed their S1, but they've announced that they're going public. So I'm not breaking any news there. Uh-huh. Um, they're based both in Tel Aviv and New York. What's Yachtpo do? Yachtpo is, that's a great one. If you run a, a direct-to-consumer brand, Yachtpo is one of your best friends. It's a sales enablement, marketing enablement tool that helps you gather the voice of the customer, reviews, loyalty. Okay, they have a whole bunch of modules, but basically the idea is to give a, a, a direct-to-consumer a brand the ability to get feedback from their customers and then use it to market the product further with great, reliable, sincere testimonials from their, their customers. 
we're an investor in a company together, uh, Jazby, which wasn't founded in Israel, but it was founded by uh, Benny and Israeli. How's Benny doing and how's Jazby doing? Well, Benny wears two hats. You know, he was the founder of Credorax, which is a large merchant acquiring bank. He ran that for a number of years. That's doing exceptionally well. It's very profitable. It's growing. It's international. It has a bank in every European country. And they do what's for any, again, anybody that's in cross-border e-commerce. Cross-border e-commerce is the fastest growing part of retail. You've got physical retail and the faster is e-commerce. And the fastest part of e-commerce growth is in cross-border. That's the specialization for Credorax. So anybody looking for a merchant acquirer, Think of Credorax, C-R-E-D-O-R-A-X. Then Benny is a very productive guy. I say this about a lot of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are not the kind of person who just wants to have an exit, get their money, and go sit in Tahiti and drink cocktails. That's not like that. Yeah, that, that usually lasts about a month or two from my experience. <laughs> good, good for them if they want to choose that. But most entrepreneurs I see are like artists. It's in them. They want to produce. They want to solve problems. They're often engineers, but not always. And they find a problem. They say, oh, that vexes me. I want to solve it somehow. So they work and work, work, and they solve it. And then when that exit, quote unquote, happens, they go and solve another problem and another. So they're, we call them serial entrepreneurs. Benny is one of those. So his next company came out of his own personal experience. He has uh, teenage children. And you know, they're always asking for money, cash, or use the credit card for this, that, and the other. So he decided to say, hey, there must be a better way using the mobile phone to have families manage money with and for their kids, where the kids can buy from a pre-approved white list, which is you know, only uh, brands that the parent wants to allow, only amounts the parents will approve, and only SKUs or specific items that the parent thinks are appropriate. It teaches the, the kids, the boys and girls, about financial literacy. It helps them establish you know, a, a debit card and so that the, they don't have to bug their parents for that. So it's a really well thought through free idea that helps the kid understand financial responsibility, makes the life of the parents easier, and um, hopefully you know, it builds a more informed, literate genera- next generation. Well, financial literacy is such a problem in America. I love Jaspi, and, and it's going to be fun watching Benny build that. I have to ask you this, David. So you moved here from, moved to Miami from San Francisco. Obviously, you were there for some period of time. What do you see in Florida and Miami? What is missing for the tech ecosystem, which has come a long way, by, by the way, you're new here, but it's come a long way even in the last five years. What do, you, what do you see is missing or what do we need to do to have it grow even more? Back to a little bit of preamble, because COVID and the lockdowns were a giant catalyst. Now, every cloud has the silver lining. Yeah. And COVID was a you know, horrible tragedy for many people. And I, I have a lot of empathy. And you know, we all know people that suffered. And, and we're, we're, we're sad about that. However, every cloud has the lining. What's the lining? Well, we've renamed COVID or given it a second name. And instead of coronavirus identified in 2019, COVID-19, we say that it's the catalyst of virtualization, innovation, and decentralization. And that's what we're seeing. I like that. I haven't heard that before. You're welcome to use it. Catalyst of virtualization, innovation, and decentralization. Because what has boomed in this year? Telemedicine, telelearning, work from anywhere, fintech. You know, I don't use my wallet. Where's my wallet? I don't use this thing anymore. This is my wallet now, right? 
you know, I've had telemedicine consultations with my doctors. I've done educational seminars where I've been taught and I've been learning. I use fintech stuff all the time. And I think many people are like this. And now I work from remote, quote unquote, because I'm working out of my home for now in Miami. But Bloomberg Capital has been working remote for a long time. So when the lockdowns happened, we went from Friday office to Monday. We were up and ready. Everyone was on you know, Zoom or other techniques for video conferencing. We've been doing that for generations because of years because we've been working from New York, San Francisco, and, my, and Tel Aviv. We just added now Miami. So let's talk about that. So behaviors are changing. People are moving. Talent, businesses, and entrepreneurs are relocating. And, and Miami is getting more than its fair share. Florida is getting more than its fair share because it's well-managed. You guys have the right kind of regulatory regime, the right kind of taxation regime. You're welcoming and, and, and hospitable. We're business. We, we, we love entrepreneurs. We love venture capitalists. And you know what's going to happen? Innovation and resources and political power are going to follow. This state gained political power by the congressional redistricting. So did Texas and so on. So that's, that's happening. So I think we have to embrace this virtualization. It will lead to better productivity for the office worker and service workers. And we sort of have a thesis on everything I told you, mining big data with AI and using process automation uh, to make applications more useful. That's our thesis. It's, you could say automating the white collar economy, but it's not just the white collar economy. I would say in the last 300 years, you'd say that the places that need the most injection of productivity for the workers to do better and the, and the business to do better is in office work and service work. Those areas have been kind of left behind as very manual. What had been fixed in the 20th century was factories. They became extremely automated and a lot of productivity tools given to the workers. And the same thing in the 19th century, agriculture workers and transportation, like we went from horse and buggy to railroads and so on, that was automated in those and horse and mule to tractors. So 19th century agriculture, transportation, 20th century factories, this century, it's going to be you and me and, and the people in Miami, Florida, which are mostly service workers, we can make people more productive. So that's our thesis for investing. So why is Miami doing better? Well, again, it's a diverse, pleasant place to live. It has the good regulatory taxation and infrastructure. It has solved some of the vexing problems that somehow other cities have not been able to solve, such as the homelessness problem. Not that we don't have homelessness in, in, in Miami, but we seem to manage it better I would urge you know, other folks to, to, to take a visit to Miami and to the rest of Florida. I mean, it's a gorgeous state. There are wonderful beaches within you know, 20 minutes of almost everyone. People are fun-loving. There's a lot of tourism here. The Latin American bring this spice and vibrancy that's fantastic. The, you have the people from New York and Montreal coming down and you know, have that fun tourist aspect to it. So it's, there's a vibrancy here that's, that's really nice. Now, what does it need? I think Florida is already and needs to continue to invest more in, in, in its science universities. I've talked to people from MIT and they're talking about doing some programs down here, not necessarily building a campus, because again, we can go virtual, but use existing campuses, integrate programs to existing universities. I think University of Central Florida, I heard is hiring something like 200 professors in AI, or maybe I've got my cities wrong in places, but there's a, a big move to hire more professors that will be top-notch and attract talent. Well, one of the things I've always said is we, we really need an MIT. We really need a top engineering school. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Florida Polytechnic Institute or Florida Polytechnic University, which is located in Lakeland for our audience. I actually gave a keynote speech this year to the graduates 
which were 400, all STEM. And it, it's going to take, I mean, the, the universe, it was only the fourth graduating class. So it's a long-term play, but I agree with you. And I, I think our legislature and, and our governments realize we need that as well. And But as you recall, we have, you talked about work from anywhere. So Florida can take advantage of that as well. I mean, first of all, there's more talent than people realize here. We're graduating a lot of very interesting folks from the University of Miami, Florida National University, the others that are all around here and, and Gainesville and different places. So that's, that's happening. But we can also use the Internet to have engineers working from Serbia or Mexico or Costa Rica, whatever, as part of the, the process. We've got a number of companies that are born multinational. And that's an interesting phenomenon. In the old days, multinational corporation meant that it was giant and usually had three letters like IBM or something like that. Today, many startups are becoming international from birth because one founder is here, another founder is there, or the market's here, the engineers are there. But they're finding that they can spread their wings earlier. And with the tools of the cloud and mobile phones and internet and big data and AI algorithms, it really is a new world. So geography is less determinative. And therefore, many people are making the choice like I did, live in a place that you love yeah, yeah. and work there too. Yeah, very exciting. David, we're getting a little short on time, but I, I always like to ask this question of investors for our founders out there. What do you look for? Both, what are you looking for in a founder? And then what are you seeing as exciting places and what's your investment thesis and where are you guys investing? You mentioned big data and AI, but... Start with the founders. What do, you, what do you look for in a founder? So Ms. or Mr. Entrepreneur, we're looking for you. And we often people say, what are you looking for? So we're looking for people solving big problems with an incredible amount of integrity and grit behind it and to, to pursue it through to this successful conclusion. We have a simple mnemonic that's called the six T's, and I'll just go through that very quickly. The T words, T, help uh, identify the topic. So the first one is the theme which is another word for problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Articulate it crisply. We're trying to fix X. And then you show how you're going to do it. Okay. Then the next part is the team. Who are you? Why are you the right folks to solve this problem? What are your bona fides, your credentials? Uh, And do you have that perseverance to do it? Because it's not just a fancy degree that makes you a great entrepreneur. It's a combination of a certain amount of knowledge, definitely a lot of elbow grease and moxie. Honestly. And the willingness to you know, knock through a lot of doors that will be placed in front of you. That's the life hero's journey, and we want you to be a hero. So that's number two. The third one is terrain, T for terrain. And terrain is like the marketplace. What's the landscape? How does it look? Is it shifting because of demographic trends, technological breakthroughs, regulatory reforms, et cetera? Show us not the snapshot with the video of how the market is changing. That's what we want to see, the direction of change to your future and ours if we work together. Then there's the technology. How does it work? Don't leave with the technology because that is a kind of a how. It's not the essence. It's a, it, it's a means to an end. And you may have to change technology you know, along the way. Next part is the timing. That's go-to-market strategy. Is it a direct sale? Is it an enterprise sale? Is it direct to consumer? Is it a B to B to C distribution and partnership model and so on? So talk to us about that. And are you early for the market? So you need a lot of education or are you late to the market? So you need to catch up. All those things are important. And then last is terms. How much money do you need? 
what are any special types of structure you're looking for? What are you looking to get out of us as a value? So then we go into what value do we provide? And I'd say there's probably four things very quickly. One is we have a CIO council, chief information. I love that what you guys do. I remember hearing about this. This It's outstanding. It's about 150 people strong, Fortune 5,000 companies, East Coast, West Coast. We meet virtually four times a year and in person. And we show our portfolio companies to them. They get leads, feedback, messaging help. It's superbly useful. And we call these folks in between for for diligence and so on. And then um, we have a a full-time recruiter who's based in Israel. And she recruits out of a very unique institution called the 8200 unit of the Israeli uh, intelligence, which is like the NSA. These are people who have been very selected from high schools as the best and brightest, trained, given a budget, built projects, done work that's amazing. And then they come out and graduate or get to end their service, men and women, and they are looking for new jobs in the tech world. And they're very in high demand. But this, the one we have as a recruiter was the head of HR there. So she knows a lot of the folks, can tell the commanders, say, how good was this one on back end? Is this, what does this one want to do? Where, where does she want to move or he? So we help them fulfill their next dreams uh, as entrepreneurs. And then we also have a head of business development and a team of two that just do business development introductions, help you, Mr. Miss Entrepreneur, you know, get in the door with a big entrepreneur, big company uh, that will help your sales effort uh, faster. And then we I, think also- I think that's one thing the founders sometimes underestimate is how much value investors can add. I know we work very hard at it here at Florida Funders. We're not perfect, but we... No, you're great. great. We work hard at it. And, and I love what you guys do with the CIO, CTO council. That's awesome. And there's not everybody's uh, money is the same shade of green, right? I think that's true. And there's one last thing, and that's the difference between our model. Well, I think we, we talked about this. In the, sort of the, there's the NASCAR model or there's the marionette model. We very much like the, the NASCAR model where the entrepreneurs drive the car and we VCs are there to support them. So we're trying to do that in many ways. And as every entrepreneur knows, it takes a lot of different skill sets to build a company. So we're trying to bring in sure. experts that are going to be helpful, supportive, not criticizing, not telling you how to operate your business, but more in a like, hey, have you thought about this? Would that be helpful? Would you like an introduction here? And, and we see how it goes. David, this has been great. I, I really appreciate, and I know our listeners and, and viewers really appreciate your time and your expertise and sharing that with, with us. If somebody wants to get a hold of, of you, is there a way they can do that? Like hit you on LinkedIn or? Yes, I think the best is look at our website, BlumbergCapital.com, B L U M B E R G Capital.com. I'm David at BlumbergCapital.com. It's good to copy uh, one of my colleagues. So copy Anita, A-N-I-T-A, at BlumberCapital.com and or Gloria at BlumberCapital.com. We're open for business. We're looking for deal flow. We're recruiting. Almost all of our companies are recruiting. So if you have a kid or a, you are a young, young person, doesn't have to be young, um, looking for jobs, um, all, most of our companies, 80 strong, are recruiting. And there's some in Florida and there's some, they're moving to Florida, some of them. We have companies in you know, New York, Chicago, basically all over the world. So we're recruiting for people for companies. We're looking for deal flow. We like to partner with folks like Florida Funders because you guys are, are, are value-add. You find things early. We respect that. And, and you're lucky you. be neighbors. Well, again, thank you, David. Really appreciate it. To our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about Florida Funders, if you're a founder, you can go out to our website. We have a five-minute application process hit us up there. And if you're an investor and you're looking to get 
active in the angel investing tech world. Uh, we have lots of stuff on content, great stuff on our, our website, including this podcast. David, again, thank you very much. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. Take care.